Welcome to the Kintsugi Heroes podcast, where we share inspirational stories of everyday people going through different challenges and how they overcome them. Please be aware that the story you're about to hear may have moments of deeply felt emotions and personal experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help keep you safe. If you love this conversation, we'd love you to like and share it with your friends so we can continue to share more inspiration and hope to as many people as possible. Now, listen up for our next hero story. My story today is with Diane Clengood. She's the founder of Good Property Group Buyers Agency, and she's on a mission to support domestic abuse survivors by finding their voice, building their confidence, and helping them get into safe and affordable housing. You know, as a young child, she grew up in extreme domestic violence, and she has vivid memories of being in a situation where she didn't feel safe. And that instilled in her this drive and a knowing and a belief that she needed to create safety for herself as soon as she could. And what I love is that she's not closed at all. And whilst she's been hurt many times through her life, she's here to give others a better life. It's just beautiful. What a lady, what a journey. And I'm really grateful to Diane for sharing this story. So please enjoy this one with Diane. Hello, here we are. It's another episode and I'm here with Diane Clem Good. And it is so lovely to have you here today, Diane. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, I appreciate you spending this time with me, showing up, being brave and and, uh, courageous and willing to share your story. I know it's not easy and sometimes it it brings stuff up for us and it can be difficult, but it is for, I guess it's for a good cause and it's also healing. And um, I always just like to acknowledge and thank people for coming to, to share the stories. It's a very important aspect of our humanity, I believe. And I think I think it's sort of the more you share, the easier it becomes. And then when you have feedback that it's resonated with someone else or it's helped them or they reach out, um, you're not alone. You're not the only one that's gone through certain circumstances. Well, this is about your story. So now I'm going to hand over to you. Could you now take us back to the beginning of your story? Okay, so I was brought up being the youngest of four children. Um, we were raised in a very small two-bedroom semi. My brothers lived out in the uh, sunroom at the back that was converted into um, a bedroom. So there wasn't a lot of space. You know, we lived on each, in, in each other's pockets. Um, and my father was uh, a very abusive alcoholic and um, quite aggressive. So you could imagine a very tall gentleman when you're young um, would just echo through the house. So, you know, there was instances you knew from, you know, from six o'clock onwards, you know, that would be a pressure cooker. It would be simply like, okay, it's, you get home from school and you think, okay, it's five o'clock. Anything really from four o'clock to six may be the time that he would arrive home. Um, and basically the tension just built. And so even, you know, the, the jingle of the keys, I can still remember the jingle of the keys and when that key slotted in to the lock, then you knew, okay, where was the safest place that was going to be out of sight, basically. Um, if you're out of sight and not heard, 
um, then there's always more, you know, you're safer. But there's two incidences um, I'd like to share. And um, hopefully, you know, if anyone's been through the same same story, same incidents, it will, you know, make you feel, you know, you are not alone. And the first one was, um, it was, I'll never forget it, a Saturday, and it was a very dark, rainy night, and um, he had been drinking at the pub. And so he's come home, and it was just my mother and I. And so, of course, a fight erupted, and um, my mother decided, okay, we were going to leave. So I'll never forget the suitcase was on the bed and she's putting the clothes in and, you know, I was around five and thinking, oh, there's going to be some safety and you do get a bit excited. However, I was in between the two of them and because my father just wanted to get to my mother, so he just backhanded me um, and I flew across the room and hit the side, uh, was uh, like a steel side of the bed. And I'll never forget how that felt to hit it and then thump on the ground. And then I thought, okay, now it's escalating um, a little bit more. So we eventually, you know, get get to walk down to the train station. My mother didn't drive, so it was pouring rain. And I remember just thinking it was dark and it was wet, but there was hope. Someplace I had no idea where we were going, and I just remember looking at the train station with all those train stops, and they used to be wooden. Um, things used to turn and, and I couldn't read either and so I was just like going oh it was just like a fantasy it was just something magical was in the air however my father had driven all the way down following us with the windows open cursing and swearing and trying to get us back so of course in those days the neighborhood knew exactly what was going on and the next recollection I was sitting in the back of the car so all that hope had gone. And I'll never forget thinking there is no escape. So that was the that was the one that sticks in my mind in relation to my father. And it was the one that you started me thinking, okay, and I I'm a firm believer of it's if it's to be, it's up to me. I might have been young, but I just thought there has to be a way out. There has to be somewhere safe. You go to other you go to your friends' places and you can see a different dynamic of families. And I'm thinking, why don't I have that within my family? And then, you know, so I thought, okay, I've got one parent um, that I can lean on that was my safe safe place, you know, and I was protective of my mother because, you know, um, because you have to have, I believe, at least one that you can turn to. Um, however, that sort of shattered um, in one incident, and um, it was just simply the witching hour, you know, before he arrives home. So the tension's building and everyone's getting a bit more anxious, and i never forget my brother was sitting in the desk in the hallway because um, it was a very small home, and I was just, you know, having fun with my sister that I thought at that age, and, and um and I never forget, you know, and I was teasing her about something and she got a little bit upset about it. And then the next recollection is um, actually just laying on my back and my mother was um, straddling me and choking me. So it was just like in that instance, it was like, has it all been a lie? Has it all been, it's just all been false. And in that instance, there was no safe person in the house. 
that was an adult. And it took my sister to um, pull her off um, and stop her in action. And from then I vowed that I would never be in these circumstances ever again. That, that somehow, and I, can, I was five and I still remember thinking I need to get my own home. And all I knew back in those days was, you know, Woolworths. And I'm thinking, I don't see houses for sale in Woolworths. Didn't know a real estate agency, didn't know anything, you know, where to go and get them. I knew they were big, so they must have to be expensive. Because safety in that home was not possible. So as traumatic as it was, and it's not easy going through something like that, um, it gave me absolutely incredible resilience, I believe, and a very strong focus and determination. So from there, uh, I suppose really was born a very good work ethic and also a love for real estate, for property, because I knew I had to work hard, I had to get money in, I had to save it and be, handle it very well to get to um, to my safe place really. And and that's when the entrepreneur was born. You know, I did every pocket money job you could think of. I saved. I worked from 14, nine months as a Woolies checkout chick. I did that as well. And uh, it was it just made me want to serve others, especially that you know around property and getting their homes. And you know, I've worked seven days a week. I've done everything that you could possibly think of um, to get me to um, my first home. And eventually, yeah, I ended up going into um, my first property was at 17 and bought my first home at the age of 21. And, um, and I just love helping others to do the same. And I'm now, um, quite happy to mentor other women, um, especially that have gone through domestic abuse because I know what it feels like and I know the work you have to do it's not easy it is not easy to have those events released as well and it's it's too hard to do it on your own you know there's been times that I didn't want want to get out of bed you know times so it's like I've got I've got kids even I've got to go and do there's been a lot of highs and lows but at the end of the day I think the best feeling is is when you can help and serve others do it as well um it's just amazing. But if I hadn't gone through those events, would I be doing what I'm doing today? I don't know. But to be able to help others is a very big cause of mine and to, you know, help other charities that do domestic abuse as well. Um, because it does, it's, I don't know, it's just, I, I like to always turn things into the positive side and look at the lessons and that, you know, we can gain from them. And that's, that's what I've done with the majority of them. But I had to reach out to a wonderful man called Michael Adamides, um, and had to do some therapy with him to release it and to heal those wounds. And, um, so it has been a journey and has been, you know, of course, lots of other events, um, along the way of growing up, but it makes you value every minute that you have and it makes you value very supportive and loving relationships. And, you know, it has allowed me to become very nurturing and very caring and also into a leadership role that, you know, when you're brought up in that sort of situation, you are brought up to be seen and not heard. 
Um, and also it was safer. It was so much safer. When the keys went in that door, you just found a spot. You know, when the fights were on, we were very fortunate we were across the road from a park. So it's crossed to the park. Um, so it, it does it give you, but to this day, there are some times I think, oh, I'm very aware of my surroundings. I'm very, you know, I will know where windows are and exits are and doors are. And that's just something I've just picked up just recently that I think I always know where an exit is. Um, but it's just a healing process that you go through. And it's just, it has made me extremely motivated to make sure um, and help others. So that's um, basically my, my story. It's not unique. <laughs> but um, it, it is it is something that, you know, I don't know. It's just, it makes you a little bit stronger, a bit more resilient. And, um, you know, and if anyone's going through that, that you, you're not alone. You know, to, this society today is a lot more open about speaking about it. When, when I was younger, you didn't speak about it. I mean, the neighbourhood must have known, but nobody rang the police. No one spoke up. You didn't say it. And, and I was brought up with the, with the saying, you don't air your dirty laundry in public. So it was that like little dark secret that if nobody knows, but of course, you know, especially when the police are knocking on your door and, you know, or he's been carried home drunk because he's been found in the gutter, that means the whole neighbourhood then knows or is having, you know, car accidents in the driveway and the police are called or, you know, the police are called to up at the other end, the end of the road because um, drink driving wasn't in those days either. So when it becomes uh, a broader story that other people know, it does it does affect you. Thank you, Diane. I I was right there with you uh, when you told those those two incidents, and I've got a did the biting, the abuse, um, did that continue through your childhood? Oh yeah, that was. I was born into it. I was born hmm. um, into the abuse, and uh, and fascinating enough, when you're in the womb, you do pick up on it. Um, my mother was very much. Um, Apparently she was bedridden for the last six months with me and I just think that was the trauma that I was picking up. You know, I was a very, um, had severe bronchial asthma all the time. I was very shy, very, um, overweight, had absolutely no self-confidence at all. And that started from, was from the moment I was born. And, you know, as he grew older, I suppose, um, it was, it wasn't worth going into battle about some things, but it made me think of when I had my children. That's when everything started to surface because I was very aware of, well, when we go and visit, that's their role model, you know, and I just thought I don't want them to think that that's okay, that you don't, you know, have a loving, close relationship with your family or with your parents. And it's okay for, you know, to, you have to be quiet because you don't want to offend or, you know, create a fight or anything like that. So that was very, that's when I became very aware and it triggered me a lot. And I did go and have some sessions, you know, fair few sessions with Michael Adamides and thinking, okay, it's all right to back away if I have to, if I have to, because I just thought there was certain other sort of events that were happening and I thought, no, not for my kids. 
So that's when I did make the decision to then walk away and I walked away simply because um, my mother was also very passive-aggressive and being English background, you don't talk about everything goes under the carpet. And um, and that carpet becomes a big mountain in the end. When you cannot talk about events and you contain them, I was becoming, um, I was having chronic uh, migraines, asthma attacks. Every time I went there, I'd be written off for days afterwards. Um, so yeah, I took a step back because all the stress when I was pregnant with my son, there was an incident and I found myself in ICU and it was, you know, life or death for both of us. And my mother was, I said, please don't send me any visitors. I need to just, just me and my husband. I don't want any stress. I don't want, you know. Um, but no, she turned up with my father and caused a bit of a scene. And that made me stay in even longer. And that was a turning point. I was, that was one of the points towards the end where I thought, no, I would not want to put someone else's life at risk for the sake of being my rights. So, um, yeah, so I ended up sort of backing away and that was a bit of a discussion with my sister and, um, I sort of let out everything that was bottled up. And um, I just said, my doors are open if my mother would like to sit down and have a conversation. But an open conversation because I have a lot of questions I'd like to ask. And, you know, that never occurred. That was never, never happened. Um, but at least I could say I did the best thing for my kids. The best thing to keep them safe and secure and sort of realise their own self-worth. Because they could see, they could see some changes as well. So the door was open. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't taken up. Um, we weren't brought up that you have, you know, conversations or anything like that. So, um, that, that was really where, where I left it. And then it was freeing that I could then think, okay, I can now be me and who I want to be. Um, because even at the end, family discussions, I wasn't allowed to talk about my business or my properties or the kit. We weren't able to talk about anything because it upset another person in the family. Um, so I had to shut down. And that's when the migraines and the asthma attacks um, would start. So walking away allowed me to just, I think the best thing is to breathe, to just breathe. And, um, yeah, so... That was, that was the ending. I had, um, a chance to say goodbye to my father. He was in hospital and a family member contacted me. So I went and made peace with him. My mother was different. Um, apparently she was in Calvary for a long time and, um, I just got the phone call that she'd passed. So that was another stage of, okay, to go through that. Cause I thought, oh, as a mother, if I had bad will or a disconnect with my kids, at least, when I'm passing, I would want to make amends or to do something. So, yeah, so I never got to really, I said goodbye my own way. So that was, that was, that was good. But, um, I just sort of think it all happens for a reason. It all eventually, you know, life is always going to be some ups and downs and it's what you take out of it. And from that situation, you know, I did get a program into a school and my kids were in primary school. Um, and it was just about self-belief, motivation, goal-setting, achieving, and celebrating your successes, whatever that could be. Even little kindergartens did it, whatever that was, and they celebrated as a team, as a, as, as a unity, close together. Um, so there are.
there are some highlights and there's, you know, of course some, some down, some down episodes as well, but there is, um, you just got to keep going. You just have to keep going. Get out of bed when you don't want to. Those days you don't want to, you just have to get up. And I, even if it's just throw something on and just do some movement, do whatever. And that's been the biggest blessing with my kids. I had to get up and I had to keep going. I had to run the businesses because you know, we needed the money to support the family. So, um, yeah, that's um, a little bit more of my story. Well, it, it's tough. Yeah, we, we I think we're, no one's immune to having family issues, but when you have this foundation of abuse and the violence, uh, when you're born into it, you know, and the whole life of it, you know, I, that's, I, I don't know that that's commonplace, you know, and for, for me listening to your story, I'm just putting myself in your shoes or trying to. And I'm thinking, wow, that's heavy. That's hard. And it sounds like you did a very loving and brave thing when you walked away. You've, you've focused on your children and the impact on them, which is the most loving thing you can do. Mm. And I'm really pleased that you're able to heal and and you know do what you've what you've done i'm really amazed at the tenacity of of you as this young girl that was so driven to buy her own safety net her own her own house did did that as you were let's say it started when you were five and then between the age of five and 17 you said you got out and then you bought your first house at 21 was the ongoing environment as a child growing up was that just continued validation of this desire to get your own house it was like i just can't wait to get my own place one day it did it it it, and that's in a way a positive side of it because you know you just i'm very good at goal setting and achieving and focusing and i knew the more i earned the more i could save and it, it drove me it absolutely, I mean, I, I was doing seven days a week. I had two full-time jobs, a night job, a morning job, and I worked seven days a week at one stage. I didn't spend a cent that I didn't have to. But when I look back, that was the beginning. And that was, I think that was the belief in me, really, that, okay, I know what I've got to do. And if I follow this, surely I'm going to get that. Surely. And that, it, you know, you know, you've got fights going on at night time or there's other, you know, not pleasant things going on. You just, I think in that moment when I was being strangled, that's when the fire was ignited. That was when the first time I could actually think of that there was a self-belief that I deserved better. Sorry for the interruption. This is Ian Westmoreland, the founder of Kintsugi Heroes, and thank you for listening to this story from one of our amazing heroes. Our mission is for these stories to provide hope and inspiration to people experiencing life challenges and to also educate the broader community on how best to provide support. If you would like to help us to continue to produce more hero stories and cover more adversity themes, we would welcome all donations. These can be made via our website, kintsugiheroes.com. The donate function is at the bottom of the homepage. We'd also welcome any feedback. You can email me direct using ian at kintsugiheroes.com.au. Now let's get back to the story. 
because you just settle with, oh, well, this is life and this is family and there's nothing better out there. But in that moment, I think the fighter came out that, no, I deserve better and I will have better. So every time there was incidences, I just, I did, okay, you dealt with those, but you would go to bed at night thinking, and I'm very much into visualization and I would, I knew my goals, I knew what I wanted because, and I also wanted my, my kids to have, like we were sort of middle class to lower class and I wanted my kids to have some, some good things in the future. So I thought if I want this lifestyle, if I want this and if I want to be safe, most importantly, I want it to be safe. Okay. You got to do some hard stuff. You know, did, did I, you know, miss out on some stuff while I, you know, towards that first home? Yeah, I did. I did. You know, I wasn't buying the designer clothes. I wasn't doing the world, the travel like my friends were. I wasn't, you know, I didn't even buy my own car for a long time. I saw I had to pay, you pay the price and then you reap the rewards because I wanted to pay that price because me being safe and sound and not having that stress in my body man, I would do anything for it. So, and that, that's where it started. And then I started mentoring people as well um, to help them get into it as well um, because I think every woman and every person deserves somewhere safe. They need to be able to walk in that door and close it and have an atmosphere that uplifts them and makes them feel so good, not the dread. You deserve you so much. You deserve it. You just sometimes when you're in it, it's hard to pick up what you're going through because you're just stuck in the day-to-day, just survive today, just get this done today. And especially if you've got kids, just get this done for the kids, just get this done. And then, you know, tonight you go to bed and you think, okay, fine. Yeah. And it, it, it actually erodes your, the, your energy levels. When you get so down, you just think you can't sleep. You're so t- you're so tired because you can't sleep because your mind then starts playing up, but then you get you get distracted by the doing of what you have to get done daily, because that's far easier than looking at I'm going to have to address this situation, and especially when you've got kids and you have to walk with kids, that's not easy, you know, because you've got to look at okay how are they going to take it? Will they will they want to want to come with you? Will they? What stage are they in their lives? So, you know, but then if, if you don't address these things, like me, migraines, um, severe asthma attacks, and in the end, as I got older, it was arthritis. It, all the anger and frustrations went into every bone in my body. And I would wake up at night sobbing, not realizing why I was crying because my whole body had, it felt like it was just on fire. It hurt to, to lay where I was. It hurt too much to turn. Um, and in the end, my left knee was actually seized. So I walked with a limp. I was told I had to have gold injections or a knee reconstruction. And I just thought, and straight away, I just thought of, I'm too busy. How will I be able to have time off work? How will I get around with crutches? So all that, and, and the kids, they've got this on, they've got that. But in the end of the day, with, you know, releasing the anger and the sadness and the grief, I can straighten my leg and I've got it all under control because I was put on severe painkillers and inflammation tablets um, that was going to affect my organs. When I heard that, I should have organ tests every often. I thought, because in the end, they don't even work. You build up so much resilience that doesn't matter what I was taking, 
I was just in constant agony. And when you're in that much pain all the time, you're angry. You, you'll snap. My daughter used to say, you go from zero to 100 so quick. I said, because in my mind, I've got so much going on. My body's raging and it's just like, I've got to get this done to this schedule. I've got to focus on this. And now this is taking me out here. It might take a half an hour to an hour. How do I fit that in? Because it's, I just loaded myself up with um, a lot of distractions and commitments till I had to really face, okay, I need to go and have some help and um, and release it. But I'm now pain. Uh, I have a little bit of pain sometimes. No medication at all. No pain medication. No um, operations. So that's a little bit of a tip if you're feeling it in your cells because if your mind's not, if you're not listening to your mind, and if it's not, you know, helping you because you're busy, it's going to come out in you. You know, you're going to get skin conditions. I've got skin conditions. And it's going to come out in your bones and your breathing, whatever, until you allow yourself to release and to heal. That's so good. I love that you shared that, Diane. I love that you brought that up. For those people who've experienced that connection between the emotions stuffing and the pain and not releasing and then their body ailments, they would understand exactly what, what you've been through. And it's so powerful. So hopefully that's just another gift that you've given the listeners that if there is uncleared, unresolved, unhealed trauma, like that's just, you know, stuck energy. We're taking that on and, and maybe, yeah, the people are actually experiencing those physical ailments without realizing that it's connected to the stuff they've been through. But that's exactly what happens because we're humans and we're all energy. That's it. And you keep containing it and stuffing it down and it settles in your body. I've got a, a question, Diane. At what point did you realize that you wanted to help other women get into property and help them to get out of domestic violence and in, you know, giving them what you needed yourself? What was, when was that idea realized? I think again, from a very young age, I thought, if I, I was going through it, others must be going through it. I didn't know who they were or anything because, as I said, you go to someone's house and you see a different display of family and relationships. You think, oh, okay. And then as you grow up, you sort of think, mm, yeah, okay, no one's come to the house um, because you don't want them to know what's going on. Oh, I was a very good, very good at the shop front. Once you walk out that door, game face was on and everything was fine as long as they didn't know what was happening behind because they you know there was a stigma there was a huge stigma back in those days um divorce was not a thing that you you know people did but for as far as helping women i sort of it's been stuck it's been with me for a while um but more recently um i'd say oh i'd say about 10 years it's sort of stuck with me 10 to 20 maybe because i just didn't know how to picture it together I'm very visual and I need to have in detail. And I knew there was a certain opportunity and I thought you can you can donate money to charities, but I'm thinking it still didn't sit or didn't feel the right the right way. Until sort of, you know, you go through a process, um, and I had my second marriage breakdown and I left my kids. And when I was at different circumstances, I left with my children came with me. Um and I started to be more aware and I met a beautiful lady one day at a seminar and she came up to me and she shared her story 
And that's why I'm thinking, okay, if you speak and share, it does help. And she shared a story that um, they had a business, she had a business with her husband, uh, lived in a very exclusive area, uh, very expensive private schools the kids went to, Range Rover. Um, so on the face of it, the shop front, everything was perfect, very successful. However, there was domestic abuse. And she shared a story of that, uh, that she would sleep in her car sometimes at nighttime with her children to escape it. She would find a, um, a light and park the car under that street light. Um, McDonald's are 24 seven. You can go and share on that. And she would do that sometimes because of financial control. So she thought, and I thought that was, that was interesting. It's not just, you know, a certain income level of people. It goes right through. I wanted to go to like to a refuge. She goes, but I think she had two sons and one daughter. And she goes, they won't take male and females. So she goes, what do I do? So I chose that we'll sleep in the car because I'm not going to leave any of them at home or I'm not going to put them somewhere where I'm not there. And that sort of ignited like interesting. You know, it, it, it is, it, it is rife. And the statistics you see and you read aren't true indicators. Cause there's like myself, like that lady, there's a lot of us out there. You don't go. You don't go and say, tell anyone. You suck it up. You do what you've got to do. So from her, and I just thought, why can't you establish homes? The whole family can go and the pets can go too. You know, sometimes they've got to leave their security of their dog or their cat, whatever that is. Why can't they be established homes? And ones that are done up beautifully, and this is something I am working on, um, that, you know, are, are done up beautifully, that makes them go in there and feel, oh, my goodness, and uplifted and supported. So um, that's always been in my, on my mind, and it's been the last few years that I am sort of working on things um, towards that to sort of get something like that um, off the ground because with a lot of them, uh, they may have may, may get housing, but it may be only three months or six months. Um, in my opinion, you know, I understand there's a big need for it, so they try and help everyone, but you don't turn your life around in three months, six months. You don't. And to be financial, if you if you didn't have employment previously, if you've walked away with nothing but the clothes on your back, then how do you support yourself, you know, with your food, your electricity and your water, let alone housing, in a short period of time, you know? And then do they go from one place to another to the other? Kids need stability. So, yeah, so that's something I'm very, very passionate about at the moment, to get something like that off the ground. That's why I talk a lot on domestic abuse, that there is hope. Um, because those little children, if you've got kids, they're watching. They're watching and they need mm. to heal too. You know, some people just think, oh, it's the kids, you know, it doesn't affect them. They can hear it. But they're in their beds at night, they can hear it. People think they can't hear, oh, they're in bed, they're asleep. I'll pretend they're asleep and I'll hear every single thing, um, let alone, you know, watching mm. it or experiencing it as well. So, um, Sometimes if you've got to have really hard conversations, it's best when the kids aren't around. Yeah, because they're sponges. They're, they are sponges. 
And it's interesting as they grow up, you'll see things and patterns. You'll sort of think, oh, that's come back to that event or that's come, what's that belief about? So it is generational. It is generational. And you think, you know, your child, if they become a parent, does that, does their children pick up on that and have that same fear or anxiety around situations? So yeah. So sometimes, you know, you, you have to take some hard decisions, reach out and speak. I never reached out and spoke to anyone. I just thought I had to do it on my own because of the shame that was attached back then. Um, but please, there's a lot of people that will listen to you and will assist you in any way they can. And if you come across ones that, you know, aren't really interested, that's okay. They're not your people. I sort of think, okay, fine. Um, you find your own little tribe, um, lots of love and support as well. Very, very wise, very good advice. And I love the initiative that you're working on. It's extremely needed. It's a, to me, that's how our society should be. Well, I think, you know, this is part of how we help our fellow humanity, our community. Um, and having personally been in a situation where I was homeless with twin babies living in a motel, I understand. You know, there, there, there's nothing really available. Um, but I love hearing what you're working on and the passion and where it comes from. And, um, you know, I just want to salute you for that. There is, there is so much need. There is, and please speak out, please, if you see or hear any, it doesn't, and, I, and I, I'm grateful in a way I experienced a situation when I was walking with my daughter and there was abuse going on. You could see him towering over her and yelling at her and she's whimpering and crying and I just thought, no more. You know, I thought, your neighbours can hear this. Mm, I can hear it yeah. outside and nobody's doing anything. Just took a simple phone call to the police. And it taught my daughter a very valuable lesson. If you see something like that, you don't have to get involved. You don't get involved, but you can call the police. Do something because that person, you know, cannot call anyone in that, in that situation. And if you're watching it and doing nothing, well, you're sort of adding fuel to it. You're letting it repeat and repeat and repeat. So please walk away from the situation. As long as you know the location, the number, the street, call. You can do it anonymous if you don't want to get involved anonymously. Um, just to help someone out that just doesn't have a voice in that situation. She doesn't have a voice. She doesn't have the confidence. She doesn't even think she's worthy of better. And she probably definitely doesn't have any self-love, especially if it goes on for a long time. It's ingrained. It gets ingrained like, oh, this is, this is how life is. You know, this is what relationships are like. This is what marriage is like. Don't expect anything better. So that's my little bit of um advice. Please be active. Please, please, because you could save a life. You just don't know. Yeah, thank you for that. I couldn't agree more. Um, Diane, we're at the end of this wonderful conversation, you sharing this story and touching on these topics that are just so important. Is there anything you'd like to say to someone who's listening to this who might be in a situation that is one that you've talked about today or like your own story? 
Is there something you'd like to share with them? Reach out and talk. Use your mouth. It's the most powerful thing you have. And just, it's okay. And this is something I've only learned the last few years. It's okay to ask for help. You know, you, I don't care what background. Like mine was a very traditional English background and toughen up and emotions weren't anything. But if you reached out for help, that is the most empowering, powerful thing you can do. To say, I'm not coping. I need help. I mean, I was very lucky that I had some girlfriends that would store some things when, when I had to get out um, quietly and quite quickly. Um, and they, because I just said, you know, what was going on? There's people that will help you. Um, you deserve so much better. You deserve whatever is in your heart. You deserve it. You deserve peace and quiet and serenity. And you'll find that if you talk to someone, lean on someone, especially. And when you have to, you have to. That's fine. Because you know what? Sometimes you open that conversation up. And their life isn't as rosy as you thought. You know, I know personally it's allowed people in my life to come out with some experiences they've had. So it builds a stronger connection as well. But, but you know, and it, it doesn't matter where you go to. As long as you, if you, if you get out, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be the most beautiful home. It doesn't have to be. As long as your kids are safe, if you, especially if you've got kids, it doesn't matter where it is. It doesn't matter if you're in a caravan park, you're in a tent. Who cares? Because first and foremost, safety, open and honest conversations. Um, but there's a light inside you that has just been dimmed, most importantly, because you've been conditioned with all of this. You've taken it all on. You've just kept going. But there is that light that you know that you deserve better. And you, know, you two just have to let it flame. Bring it to light and be, you know, be open and have conversations like this with people and talk about it because the more people talk about it, you start resonating. I've had women reach out to me saying, oh, my God, you went through the same thing as I did, but they hadn't shared it ever before. So it's it's sharing, you know, it, it's awareness and the more awareness that goes on it, the more people may take action against it, the more women or men will say, okay, it's not okay to be treated like this and the more accommodation that we can have, there's options. Like my, I know my mother didn't have anywhere to go. I don't even know to this day where she was going. We never talked about it. But she had nowhere to go because she just didn't. It was to death to your, to your pa. Um, you know, just this is the way life is and being very religious, it, you, you had said your vows. So, yes, yeah, so basically I just want, to, I want everyone to think that there is a different life awaiting for you. Just reach out and say, I need help. And you might reach out to someone, you don't get it from them. That's okay. You tell it to the next person. And then sometimes you've just got to back yourself and you may have to organise a plan. Um, you may have to get one of those go bags ready. You may have to get things out of the house quietly. Um, and you may have to even, uh, in my circumstance, I even had to get the removalists on board and let them know, you know, what happened. And there was an incident. I thought I timed it very well. Um, it didn't go according to plan, but I knew that the movers, so, um, were gonna, were support me. They knew that as hard as it was to have that discussion, I wanted them to be aware in case anything blew up. And so when an occurrence was, um, they knew exactly what needed to be done, um, what my actions were going to be. And, um, so you'd be surprised. People that will help you out. And if anyone needs to have a chat, 
I'm quite happy for people to contact me um, and um, assist in any way I can. Thank you. Thank you. Such wisdom, love, hearts, just everything. Diane, I love, I love what you're doing. It's so purposeful and you're really so compassionate and helping people at, at, in their time of need, but also with the, with the goal, it feels like to help shift our, you know, open our awareness and help shift our behaviors around this and, and creating more of a safe, loving space. And, and that's really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. I really, really appreciate you being here today. You're welcome. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Kintsugi Heroes. Please like and share the show to your friends so we can get this out to even more people. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, please reach out using the contact details below. And join us next week for our next Heroes story. Until then... Keep being you and remember that we are all heroes in our own unique way. Only when it's broken. Only when you're broken Only when